What's up? You found yourselves locked on Bulls. I'm Matt. Joining me today is a wonderful guest and a friend, Rob Shaver, who does a great job covering the Bulls for NBC Sports Chicago. We are breaking down the Bulls win over the Nets on Monday night and looking at some of the trends of this Bulls team who are 7-3 and three through their first 10 games. That's all ahead on a fresh Locked on Bulls. Let's go. You are Locked on Bulls, your daily podcast on the Chicago Bulls. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Here are your hosts, Matt Peck and Big Dave Watson. What's up and welcome into Locked on Bulls, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Matt Peck. You can follow me on Twitter at Bulls underscore Peck. You can follow us at Locked on Bulls. Today's episode is brought to you in part by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Head to rockauto.com and tell them Locked on Bulls sent you. Well, big win over Brooklyn yesterday. So to break it down, I told you guys, big days out for a few days. I want to get some guests in here because you don't want to listen to just me. And boom, I struck gold because I got with me my good friend Rob Schaefer, uh, a, a former colleague, a, a guy who's kicking butt on the Bulls beat for NBC Sports Chicago this season. Get all of his great Bulls coverage by following him on Twitter at Rob underscore Schaefe and see all of his amazing columns at NBCSportsChicago.com. Rob, great to be chatting with you, buddy. How are you? More fun covering this Bulls team, right? I, I'm good, Peck. It's always, it's always beautiful to see you. Um, like we were saying before, work work is fun again. So so that's been a, a pleasant element um, of the season so far. So yeah, no no complaints for me. Um, speaking of no complaints, I you know I, I think Bulls have been uh, Bulls fans have been nitpicking where where and how they want to so far through this impressive and maybe somewhat surprising seven and three start. Um, one of the things that that I have seen this team struggle with, and I'm sure you have noticed as well, is getting off to these slow starts where their offense just really their half-court offense isn't clicking, digging themselves holes because they're putting up 19 or 20 points in the first quarter. But, man, a 35-point first quarter for the Bulls against Brooklyn last night. What did you see for them that was working out of the gate? Well, I think it was, you know, Billy Donovan's dream of a team that's getting downhill, playing with urgency and energy. I think they won paint points 18-2 to in that first quarter. And, mm -hmm. you know, as prolific offensively as this Nets team is, I think 11 of their first 18 shots in that first quarter from three-point range, even if you shoot well on those, uh, I think the Bulls were able to leverage that kind of dichotomy in, in style of play into kind of setting the tone and, and setting the tempo. Uh, the unfortunate thing is that that sluggish kind of stretch that seems to you know have a place in, in every Bulls game at some point came in the second quarter and things kind of ground to a halt. They stagnated. The Nets got going a little bit um, and you know it turns into a six-point deficit at halftime. Uh, but early on, I mean, it, it seemed like they were just dictating everything that was going on on the floor. Uh, 12 points on 6-7 shooting from Zach Levine uh, doesn't hurt. He got to every spot that he wanted to uh, in the mid-range. He was getting to the rim. Um, he cooled off as the game went along. But uh, for him to come out uh, and do that early, uh, I think also contributed to setting that tone. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a good start for them last night. I think one of the better quarters that they played of the season. It's a shame that they followed it up uh, with what they did in the second uh, but that, you know, it allowed them that cushion to then be able to, you know, hang tight in the game, even when things weren't going so well. And uh, obviously leap in front and forth later. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that big points in the paint edge in the first quarter, and that remained a, a, 
a story throughout the the game last night. I I think they ended with a 30 point. Yeah, 54-24 points in the paint in favor of the Bulls. They also out-rebounded Brooklyn 56 to 42. Um and, and it's interesting that you see that kind of stuff happening um uh, you know more frequently than I think Bulls fans would expect it because everybody coming into this season was excited about this brand new roster with a lot of fun pieces, but everybody's been worrying about size and size and a lack thereof. How is it, do you think that, you know, is it just sort of uh, some mentality that Billy Donovan is instilling in his guys getting, you know, uh, rebounding effort chipped in from from the guards, from, from an undersized power forward like Javante Green? How are the Bulls doing this well on the boards despite their lack of size? Yeah, I think it's collective. I think even though a guy like Javante Green or Derek Jones Jr., you know, those are your primary fours, they're undersized, but they're so athletic. And they're so, like, they play with such a reckless abandon. Like, Derek Jones Jr., you hold your breath, it seems like, two or three times a game with him, you know, skying for, you know, whether it be a dunk or a rebound or a block shot, um, and he'll hit the deck. Javante, same thing. Um, I mean, I think it's just been the formula of having big, long, athletic guards and wings, Lonzo Ball, Zach Levine. Uh, DeMar DeRozan, like these are all at the least above average rebounding guards slash wings, if not really, really good. Um, so I think mm-hmm. that certainly helped. I mean, for everything that uh, Nikola Vucevic has struggled with to open the season, him still averaging a double-double with 11 boards a game certainly helps there. When it looks bad, it looks bad, the size issues. But I mean, I've just been really impressed, not only defensively, but also on the glass with how much they've been able to compensate, you know, make up that gap with their athleticism. Um, to the point mm-hmm. that I don't think it's like this glaring, obvious, needs-to-be-fixed tomorrow issue. I think you can still kind of let the season play out a little bit and see over a lo- larger sample size how bad it gets or how much it, it does end up needing addressing. Uh, for now, I, I mean, they're surviving. I mean, maybe it's a product of the league being a, a little bit smaller or, you know, um, uh, you know, just that the the emphasis on interior play not necessarily being what it was a couple decades ago. Maybe it's mm-hmm. something to do with that. Um, the Bulls just general disruptiveness defensively. They get a lot of stops uh, on live ball turnovers and are able to get out on the fast break and you can kind of tire an opponent out that way. So I think it's a lot of different things, but you know, 10 games, it's a small sample size, but I've actually been pretty pleasantly surprised. Even though there have been games where it showed up in glaring fashion, I've been pretty pleasantly surprised by the big picture um, look uh, at the size disadvantage. Um, I actually don't think it's really killed them um, in, in a, in a significant way, obviously considering they're seven and three. Um, But again, like without Patrick Williams, um, you know, as the book gets out on the Bulls and teams start to game plan and scheme specifically for this kind of stuff, maybe that'll change. Uh, but for now, I think it's largely been encouraging. You mentioned Pat Williams just now and, you know, uh, replacing him in that starting lineup. Uh, Billy Donovan went back to Javante Green, who got those spot starts in preseason while, while Peta was nursing that ankle. I- I've seen some talk on Bulls Twitter over the last week or so of Bulls fans who are saying, you know what, Derek Jones Jr. is looking pretty good as he's earned his way into Donovan's rotation and, you know, maybe thinking about swapping him out and and maybe Javante is partially responsible for the Bulls getting off to these slow starts offensively because what you're seeing from our opponent's defenses on a nightly basis is they're basically just completely ignoring Javante Green and shading closer to somebody else who's more of a scoring threat. I mean, Javante did have 11 points last night. Um, you know, he knocked down his first three. And my buddy who I was at the game with was like, oh, I didn't know Javante could shoot threes. And I was like, he can't. That's the only one he'll make tonight. And that was the only one he made all night. If you were Billy Donovan, would you flirt with maybe doing a Derrick Jones Jr. for Javante swap? Or or do you like that kind of uh, just chaotic energy 
um, and, and the work he does on the glass and all those other things that Javante brings to that starting unit that they've got enough scoring and, and, and leave Javante in there. Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. I haven't dug into the numbers on it enough to have have a firm opinion. I mean, certainly I would I would consider it, um, but I don't know. Like in terms of you know how Javante is guarded from the perimeter, is it that much different for a Derek Jones Jr.? I mean, the sample size still has to build up a little bit more. He's not much of a shooter mm -hmm. either. Now he pro he's a much right. uh, more dynamic vertical threat, and um, you know as much as Javante can get out in transition and he'll have these kind of poster dunks every now and then. Derek Jones Jr. is probably a little bit more of a prolific lob threat um, and kind of running the floor, filling lanes and things like that. So I, I would consider it, um, but I, I, I'm, I'm not sure if I would pull the plug on that yet. I mean, Billy Donovan, it, it's pretty abundantly clear that these guys who really, really, really compete defensively and, like you said, bring that element, element of chaos, that wrecking ball nature of the game. I mean, I have to assume who even has moments like that. Like, you can just see how quickly those types of players earn Billy Donovan's trust. I think Derek Jones Jr. Mm -hmm. falls into that category too, to a degree. Um, so I would consider it just because he does give you a little bit more length. Um, but again, these guys are both kind of playing between 20 to 25 minutes a game. It's being balanced out to a degree. And actually, maybe you need Derek Jones Jr. As, as Again, he's limited offensively, but what he does give you, you know, as a, as a rim runner, maybe you need that more with the second unit, which has struggled uh, to score at times. Mm-hmm. So that and, that and that's the other thing with Billy. Every time he he gets broached a question about the starting lineup, his the first thing that he says is, "Well, how's that going to affect the second unit?" Because there are ripple effects to all these decisions. So, right, that's my way of kind of riding the fence there. I don't know that I have a hard line opinion of it. I could see it either way. Um, I think what Derek Jones Jr. has brought since he's cracked the rotation uh, hasn't really surprised me. What's more surprised me is that he didn't crack the rotation sooner. But I guess you know that injury mm -hmm. in preseason kind of gets him off to a slow start. Uh, but certainly, if he keeps playing like this, he may force Billy Donovan's hand eventually just because he gives you a little bit more length. But I don't know if that's, you know, again, seven and three. So a lot of issues kind of get glossed over. I don't know if that's the the biggest thing facing this team right now, but it's something to think about for sure. We'll be back to our conversation with Rob Schaefer in just a minute. But first wanted to tell all of you out there about Truebill. Today's episode is brought to you by Truebill. Do you know why free trials renew without your consent? It's a business scam out to get you. Don't let greedy corporations pocket your money. Download Truebill to take control of your subscriptions. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. On average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebill. Because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. And your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions, so you don't have to. Truebill has over 2 million users and helps save them over $100 million. $100 million. I know especially over the last year and a half or so, with everybody in quarantine and in lockdown, you probably added a whole bunch of subscriptions to a whole bunch of different media sites and streaming services and whatever it might be, and now... People are starting to get their lives back to normal and saying, I don't need all these subscriptions. Well, use Truebill because they'll help you cancel all of those subscriptions and save you money. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash locked on NBA. Go right now. Truebill.com slash locked on NBA. It could save you thousands a year. Truebill.com slash locked on NBA. Today's episode is also brought to you by Prize Picks. All right, NBA fans. Have you heard about Prize Picks? Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. 
If you haven't checked it out yet, you're missing out. I'm telling you, you are going to love this app. PrizePix has the best NBA DFS prop game on the market. PrizePix offers more NBA props than any other DFS prop operator and offers all the superstar players as well as bench players only recording just a handful of minutes in each game. And if you deposit when signing up and use promo code NBA, you will receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. Pick two to five players and an over and under on their projections, and you can win up to 10x on any entry, and it's just you versus the projected numbers. Price picks even allows mixed sports entries, so you could take the over on Justin Fields passing touchdowns and the under on... Nikola Vucevic points because that seems like a pretty good bet, right? It's all there and available for you on Prize Picks. Use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Prize Picks is safe and offers fast withdrawals. So don't hesitate. Check out prizepicks.com and use promo code NBA to get that 100% instant deposit match up to $100 or go to the App Store and download the app today. Prize Picks is daily fantasy Made easy. I love it, and I know you will too. And now, back to my conversation with NBC Sports Chicago's Rob Schaefer. Yeah, and, and, you know, like you just mentioned with Billy, you know, if you change this, then this changes, and there are ripple effects. And I know it's a small sample size, but I, I think I saw somebody, uh, I can't remember if it was Bleacher Nation Bulls or, or maybe our guy Salim from Bulls Gold. Somebody mentioned the, mm-hmm. the foursome of Caruso, Io. Derek Jones Jr. and Tony Bradley. I think it's like around a 30-minute sample size so far in the season. But those guys have a – I think it's a net rating of like plus 47 or something. Like it's crazy. So despite that yeah. maybe there is a little bit of where is our scoring coming from in the second unit, what they're doing defensively and what they can get you know, happening in transition, that, that foursome, you know, Billy Donovan's back end of the rotation right now, looks to be playing pretty well together. Um, we'll, we'll get yeah. back to the, bench. I mean, you, I mean, you see, go ahead. Yeah. You saw that in the Knicks game last night though. That, that unit is the, that's the lineup that flipped the game. And right. I saw Ricky O'Donnell. I, I saw him on Twitter in the moment last night, uh, call that, uh, with DeMar DeRozan kind of a no shooter lineup. So right. it, it makes you a little queasy at first, but, um, you know, when that group is able to affect, uh, the game defensively, the way that they were last night, you see the virtues of it. So I, I didn't know that, um, net rating stat on that foursome. It kind of doesn't surprise me. Because it does seem like when they get rolling, it's an avalanche pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that, that's something to consider. If those guys really, really are playing well together, you don't necessarily want to break that up if that's kind of the one source of offensive spark that you're getting from your bench until Kobe White comes back at least. We'll get back to to the bench in a little bit because I got some more thoughts there and I also want to get your thoughts on Io. But going back to the starting unit um, for, for a minute here, I mean, I don't know what... If, if I saw, if I remember what your take was on the DeMar DeRozan signing when it happened, I was ecstatic about it. I know uh, Big Dave mm-hmm. loved the move because, hey, I mean, this is just a perennial all-star guy who still, despite being on the other side of 30, has a lot left in the tank. If you watch what he did in San Antonio for a couple of seasons, improving his skills as a playmaker while consistently being that score, reliable in the mid-range, getting to the free throw line. I was like, this guy's going to address a lot of what this Bulls team lacked last season and has lacked for a long time. You look at, I mean, 28 points, you know, nine more trips to the free throw line last night, 10 of 20, just big buckets pretty much any time the Bulls need one late in a close game. I mean, what what can't you say about what Tamar DeRozan has brought to this Bulls team so far through 10 games? 
Yeah, initially with with the DeRozan signing, I loved the offensive fit. Obviously, as, as everybody did, had questions defensively about how it was going to work. Um, but the reason that you love the offensive fit so much is because of the way on paper he appeared to just address these very specific weaknesses that this team had last year, being high turnover, not getting to the foul line, um, lacking that second scoring option next to Zach Levine. I, I mean, you could call those two guys right now 1A and 1B in either order, mm-hmm. um, and, I, and I would believe it. Well, yeah, um, and aren't they both in game. top 10 in NBA in scoring through 10 games? Like, Yeah, I haven't looked at it today, but they entered the Nets game fourth and fifth. Right, yeah. Uh, and then DeRozan has another 28, Zach has 24. So maybe maybe that fidgeted by a spot or two, but they're certainly, I would guess, both still in the top 10. Eight to 10 games, they both scored over 20 points. Sometimes the problem is, uh, where's everybody else? Right. <laughs> uh, but you know, think about how many times over the last few years it was Zach Levine and Lowry Markinen have scored 20 plus points in X amount of games this year and the Bulls uh, have X record, but you know, it only happens once in a blue moon. You know, Now it's happening on a nightly basis. So that's been phenomenal. Um, you know, it, just the way that he's uh, buoyed kind of these reserve units where you don't necessarily have uh, as much scoring. The shot-making displays that he's put on early in the season have been remarkable. I mean, I've always appreciated DeMar DeRozan as a player, but I got to say, I it's 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 been a revelation to me to see how efficient he's been mm-hmm. um, with his shot-making, even though he hasn't been as much of a distributor to this point as he was in San Antonio, just because maybe his scoring has been needed a little bit more. The Bulls also have some ball movement, stag stagnance issues that they're working through so maybe that'll come with time um but then you just look at the team-wide statistics i mean coming out of last night the first in the nba in turnover rate they were near the bottom last year of the league uh in uh free throw attempt rate their fifth last year they were dead last in the nba so that's not all demar Derozan. like this is obviously an entirely new roster right. and they're uh, playing a different way the the emphasis is more on getting downhill and playing faster etc cetera, etc cetera. um but you know his impact on those stats is undoubtedly outsized um you ask anybody around the team and even just like feeling his presence and aura in press conferences like you can tell that his kind of veteran without being over the hill because he's obviously still in the prime of his career Mm -hmm. the mentality though of not getting too high or too low based on any one win or loss and the bulls have had better wins in the first 10 games of the season multiple than like any i've seen since i've been on the beat i've been on the beat since the start of the 2019-20 season Mm -hmm. and they're still taking the long view of this and i think a lot of that comes from DeRozan. I know he gets chided for the playoff history because of the LeBron stuff a little bit, but this is still a guy that's been to conference finals. He's been to the playoffs um, countless times in his career. It's more than most people on the, really the entire roster last season could say, and still the majority of this roster could say. So in every facet, I mean, offensively with all those specific areas uh, that the Bulls are improving um, off the court, he really seems to be a sage and is really affecting this team's uh, mentality with his leadership. He's just been, absolutely outstanding. I mean, my one, my one gripe with the DeRozan transaction initially was that I thought in both the sign and trade transaction and the salary doled out, I thought it was a little bit of an overpay. Mm-hmm. Um, now you could justify that overpay because of the approach that the front office was taking to compete now. And because of all these areas of need that he addressed, but now, you know, you look at 10 games into the season, he's an MVP candidate. So how can you even say it was an overpay at this point? Right. Um, so yeah, he's, he's, he's just been absolutely outstanding. He's been a joy to watch. He's been a joy to, um, to get his perspective uh, in media dealings too. So I you know, can't, can't speak more highly about, um, about what he's brought so far. One more quick break from my chat with Rob Shaver to tell you all that today's episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. Sports season is in full swing, y'all. You know it. I know it. We got the, the heart of the NFL calendar. NBA's getting underway. There's awesome games on deck every night. NHL's playing too, if that's your thing. We got college football going on. Get closer to the college football playoff. All these sports. That's so little time. So why waste any of that time 
going to an auto parts store, a storefront, a chain store, and waste money and waste time when you could be saving money and saving time for all those sports you want to watch by shopping at rockauto.com. Seems simple, right? It is. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more money for the exact same parts from a chain store or car dealership? Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Their prices are reliably low for every single customer. And they've got everything you could possibly need. Brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpeting. So, whether it's for your classic car or your daily driver, get everything you need in just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. So, go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto part needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Be sure to write Locked On Bulls in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, Auto. Dot com. Um, I mean, just a, a vet who, who saw an opportunity to come play in Chicago with like DeMar has himself. And he, as he talked about uh, in the offseason after uh, joining the Bulls, chip on shoulder. You know, Lonzo has one. Zach certainly has one. These guys who are labeled as like, oh, this guy's got this talent or, or this ability, but not a winner. Can't win. Um, and DeMar is certainly showing a lot of the doubters and the naysayers from this offseason when the the most popular fun hot take was to say, hey, the Bulls made all these moves and sacrificed all this draft capital and spent all this money and they're still going to suck. Well, so far. And look, you know, with this, the, the, this uh, next couple of weeks through no, the middle of November schedule, I think we'll learn a lot about just how good the Bulls are with some of these, uh, some of these games. But, you know, you, you mentioned sort of a, a, a long-term approach and – Quickly, I, I want to get your thoughts on Zach Levine playing through this thumb injury on his offhand right now. I have, I, I, I like to me, it's very clear that he's favoring that left hand. Yeah. Um, you know, usually he's very comfortable driving left in addition to driving right and finishing left versus finishing right. You don't really see him finishing with his left when he's attacking the basket anymore. And, um, you know, again, just a 10 game sample size, but his shooting. Numbers are down from his wildly efficient season last season. He was 0 of 4 from downtown last night. I think he's down to like 33 or 34% from behind the three-point line where he was a 41% shooter beyond the arc last season. What do you think as far as like how much is this thumb impacting Zach's game right now? And what do you think about the decision from the decision from Zach and from Billy being okay with it to say, you know what, I'm just playing through this right now? Yeah, I mean, I think you respect and admire the the uh, the drive and the want to want to play through it. Obviously, this is a big year for Zach in, in terms of it being a contract year. You know, uh, a supermax is potentially on the line if, if he can make All NBA, and also just you know getting a chance to play with the most talented roster that he's ever played within his career. He said a bunch of times that it's the most excited he's ever been playing basketball. The last thing that this dude with the competitor that he is wants to do is sit down for a couple weeks or months or however long it would take for this thumb to officially heal. That being said. You know, he he downplays it. He says it's not really affecting his shooting much because it's on the guide hand, and it, he says the pain um, has subsided, and it's really about just dealing with the equipment, the tape on his thumb. And, you know, Zach Levine, most people, most NBA players are like this, but Zach especially is the kind of guy where if he's in there, you know, there's no injury excuse baked into anything that goes on. Mm-hmm. But undeniable to me, a lot of the stuff you said, the ball handling, I mean, just like the kind of 
strange like mishandling of balls when he's going to his left or, or crossing over to his left kind of just doesn't seem like he's able to get that same kind of traction on the ball. Um, this was happening a little bit earlier. I haven't tracked it as much recently, but you know, going up on the left side of the rim and still kind of scooping to finish with his right. The shooting, obviously, I think since the Toronto game, he's down in the low twenties from three point range and still putting up pretty solid, uh, shooting lines. I think he was 10 to 17 last night, which pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, you know, it's still not necessarily what it was. And for a bulls team, that's take, you know, bottom of the league in three point attempts, um, you know, having a guy like Zach, who is such an assassin from deeper has been in his career. That would be a huge, huge boost. I feel like to the offense, and it's it's an element that's a little bit missing right now. Um, so again, like you admire it, I think this team would be in a tough, tough place even without uh, a Zach Levine playing through injury. It would be a rough stretch uh, to go without him, um, just because of how strained the depth is already. Uh, but I just wonder. I mean, he insists um, that it's healing as he's playing, and Billy Donovan says that the Bulls' medical staff hasn't, you know, led them or hasn't told them that. It's an injury that um, he can't play through. Like, there's no reason that he can't do this and still kind of get better as it goes along. Um, but I just, you know, there's a part just with how important Zach Levine is to this team. There, There is a part of me really since the beginning that kind of had it in the back of my mind. Man, wouldn't you rather just sit on it for a couple of weeks and make sure that it heals mm-hmm. um, entirely? But, you know, as long as the medical staff okays it, I think Billy kind of trusts medical slash player. Like, he's a very, like, dialogue heavy guy between those three parties when it comes to injury stuff. So I think he has trust in that. Um, Zach, obviously, from a pain perspective, feels like he can play through it. If the medical staff doesn't think there's a high chance of it getting significantly worse, then that all combines to him playing. And, you know, it's got to be noted, still playing pretty well. It's really just the three-point shooting uh, to me that has been uh, lagging a little bit behind since then. Maybe it's just small sample size theater. Maybe it's something real. Um, You know, the next 10 or so games, I think will tell us a lot there, especially because it's against pretty good competition. But um, yeah, I, to me, him playing through it, it's, it's Zach being Zach. There was never a doubt that he was going to try to do this and if he could do it. Um, but we'll just have to see how, how it unfolds. It's, it's gone okay so far, but you know, if you're a Bulls fan, I, I can only imagine you're a little bit queasy kind of going into every game, the risk of him banging it on something or, uh, you know, it getting worse in some type of way. We'll just have to see where it goes from here. Um, I want to also get your thoughts on, I think the player who has drawn most attention from Bulls fans this season uh, and not for a for a positive reason, and that's the does he or does he not have yeah. the yips right now, uh, big man, <laughs> uh, Nikola Vucevic. Um, look, you know, so I was I was at the game last night, and the first few times, you know, he got touches like they did Saturday against Philly. After you know last Wednesday, he only took seven shots in the first game against the Sixers. They looked to get him involved early, and I heard a lot of ooh from the UC crowd, and I was like, you know, I was yelling Vooch because I am still – It's tough to tell. Him, but I, to I tell. thought that maybe some Bulls fans were out there booing him because of this just dreadful slump that he is in to start this season shooting. 5 of 14, another tough night shooting for Vooch. He missed two bunnies, like, right off the bat. Um, you know, like, the, the three ball is, is really not there. But I, I liked what you made note of in your 10 observations column after the game on Monday night because sitting there watching it, I had the, the same thought, which was that bench unit, as you, as you noted, put the Bulls in position to really steal that game with their minutes early in the fourth quarter. Vooch and some of the other starters check back in somewhere between six and seven minutes left. And you're like, oh, my God. You're like, we, we saw this against Toronto. Like, is Vooch going to have a turnover or a bad miss or whatever and then, like, let Brooklyn creep back into this game? He confidently steps into a wide-open three at the top of the key and knocks it down. 
like a big bucket to push the Bulls lead, I think from, from nine to 12. I think it was two, yeah, it was something like that. Yeah, it was to double digits uh, right. for sure. And from there, it was a wrap. Um, and yeah, man, I mean, still, he hit two more elbow jumpers after that confidently to, you know, yeah. he was two for 11 when he checked back in the midway through the fourth quarter and he finished his night five for 14. Now, I know that that's not a big deal in the grand scheme of things, but maybe if just knocking down those few shots late in a winning game, that, you know, does that give him the confidence to pull himself out of whatever this is he's trying to fight his way through? I think you hope so. I mean, we saw it against the Jazz earlier this year. The encouraging thing is that there are now multiple examples of Vooch struggling earlier in games, but then coming through kind of down the stretch when it matters the most. The discouraging thing is that Jazz game didn't necessarily spark anything for him. We're kind of still in the same place. So we'll see. I mean, it's one, it's probably the biggest thing I'm going to be watching in the Dallas game is kind of how he looks out of the gate, how much the Bulls look to get him involved, and if that fourth quarter where, he, like you said, he had seven points on three three shooting sparks him. Because early in that game, in the Nets game, I mean – I was running out of words. Like it was almost beyond anything I'd seen. When you think of the level of the shooting slump cross examined with the quality of the player, like the mm -hmm. caliber of the player, it was inexplicable. I mean, you mentioned the miss bunnies um, getting blocked on a couple layups by LaMarcus Aldridge and, and Paul Millsap. And then he missed a bunny right after that. That was the sequence um, in the second quarter. There was a moment um, and it was right in front of our media seats. It was under that basket where he had a catch from Lonzo ball. It was sometime in the third quarter. And he had a wide open look at a three and he didn't even look at the rim. He just immediately turned, mm -hmm. went, flowed into a handoff, passed out of the touch. And Lonzo, like you could see, I, I couldn't tell if he actually told him to shoot it, but you you could see like not bad frustration, but just a come on, Vooch. Like we we need you to shoot that. Like we're not gonna get out right. of this, or you're not gonna get out of this by not shooting your way through it. You know what I mean? AK he, was watching that saying, I thought we traded away Wendell Carter Jr. I need a big man who can shoot. <laughs> well, ironically, go look at Wendell Carter Jr.'s three-point shooting. Oh, I know. Oh, I know he's had some good games recently because there are Bulls fans in my mentions being like, we shouldn't have traded away Wendell. Vooch sucks. And I'm like, okay, people, calm down. Come on, guys. Come on, guys. Yeah. And uh, so, but that that was, again, like in the Philly game where he only, the, the first Philly game where he only takes seven shots, like, those moments are especially alarming because it's like, oh, no, like you can't lose your confidence. Like that's the one thing that you have to preserve here to, to, to shoot your way out of it. Um, so in that vein, like maybe that is what makes the stretch run essential and a spark for him. Um, we'll see. Uh, but he just hasn't looked himself. I mean, I, even after last night, even after that encouraging fourth quarter, I think um, his splits all go down. Maybe the one three from three brought his three-point percentage up a little bit. But, yeah, he's 37.8% from the field, 26.2 from three. Um like, that's just not Nikola Vucevic. And I think there are some underlying things in here. You know, the yips may be a factor. Um, there's a factor of him kind of fitting in in a different kind of offensive way than he has in earlier parts of his career. Mm -hmm. Obviously, he's had to sacrifice um, a lot of the offense flowing through him like it was in Orlando and even last year in Chicago. Right. Um, I, I, the other day, I used uh, a comparison of, like, he is the Chris Bosh of this yeah. situation with Zach and DeMar. It's like, Bosh comes to Miami and he's like, oh, I got to give up a significant amount of the guy I was in Toronto because I'm now playing with LeBron and Dwayne Wade. It's a thing throughout NBA history. I mean, Kevin Love is a less kind comparison, but, you know, that team won a title. But, yeah, but yeah. you know, I think that's another one. It's He even joked after practice the other day, we were talking to him about it, uh, kind of the shooting struggles, and he, he made a joke. It was very lighthearted, but he was like, that's the life of a big man. You know, his, his touches are dependent on perimeter players. Finding him, it's dependent on good chemistry, like in these screen roll actions that he's in. He seems to be in more of those than he has been um, in his career. So it's just this really 
awful blend, this awful stew of things that is leading to this. I mean, it's really inexplicable for a guy with the type of scoring talent that he has. Um, obviously, he's bringing it on the glass. He's bringing it as a facilitator. But Nikola Vucevic can't average 13 points a game for the rest of the season and shoot the way he is. And this team gets where it wants to be. Like Zach and Demar have been brilliant to keep the offense afloat, mm. and they're still figuring stuff out. Um, but they they just need more um, from Vooch. And uh, again, I, I think Dallas is the first opportunity. It's going to be the first thing I watch for is if um, the close of this Nets game can can get him going a little bit. Yeah, you know, I think you have to look at it from the positive perspective of the fact that the Bulls are seven and three and have some pretty impressive wins already in those seven. When you talk about the Utah game, the comeback against Boston and last night against Brooklyn, despite the fact that their starting center, who they made a big trade for in the middle of last season, a guy with all stars on his resume is playing like this. Um, but you know, and, and like credit to Vooch also for, you know, he's, you said he's taken this slump in stride, finding other ways to impact the game. Like mm -hmm. you, you mentioned him passing up that wide open look after the, the nice pass from Lonzo last night at least he is a capable passing big man. Like, I think he's averaging around four and a half assists per game so far through these first 10 games. Finding a, other ways to make yourself useful on the floor if your shot isn't falling. Uh, and so hopefully, you know, keep that up and then also pull yourself out of the shooting slump. Uh, going back to that reserve unit, Rob, I thought that Io Desumu won that game, you know, in, in, a, in a weird minor way. I thought that some of the plays he made in that stretch run, um, you know, late third, early fourth quarter, you know, the the big and one, knocking down free throws. I mean, he had an awesome, um, like, what he had a few big boards, uh, you know, winning loose balls, uh, hit, hit a big corner three when the Bulls were pulling away. And, you know, you could tell that his teammates and his coach, Billy Donovan, have all of the confidence in the world that he also appears to have in himself. For a rookie who some people thought wouldn't even be in Billy Donovan's rotation, he has just flat out taken Troy Brown Jr.'s spot in the rotation. And I don't think anybody is questioning that. No, and, and they shouldn't. I mean, he's been outstanding. I mean, it's pretty remarkable. I mean, Summer League, he obviously had his high moments, but I thought it was a pretty rocky stint overall. Mm -hmm. The development that he's shown, obviously, defensively, and and then with some of the offensive stuff, just like his speed in transition, the confidence, like I, I know he's probably not going to be on, on volume, uh, a good three point shooter early in his career, uh, but the confidence to knock down some big ones. Um, you know, he's pretty undeterred uh, by that. He, I think he's gotten a lot better as a finisher um, even since August. Uh, so it's been remarkable. And, and one subtle thing that, you know, you could call cliche or BS or kind of like lip service from, from the players, but DeMar DeRozan talked a little bit last night after the game about how, Everybody on the team notices that the United Center uh, has a little bit of an extra inf affinity towards Io DeSumo for good reason. Uh, so loud. So lo like like DeRozan's line. What did he say? Anytime that dude sneezes on the court, the crowd goes crazy. Yeah, exactly. And it, it started out in preseason where it's like every time he checks in and it's like, okay, you know, this guy's not in the rotation. He's not necessarily, um, you know, getting that from his play. It's more of his story and his trajectory. And, and he'll, and, you know, he'll grow. He'll grow into it. But now he's making like really, like you said, game swinging, game outcome affecting plays. And, you know, it hasn't been this way in a couple of years, but the United Center is a tough place to play. And you could just feel, and Peck, you were there, so you could probably speak to this even being in the crowd too. When the energy flipped early in that fourth quarter, and I think Io was a big part of that because of the plays he was making on the court, but also that extra boost that anything that Io Dasumu does is going to give, you know, um, uh, give the city, give, give the United Center crowd. DeRozan said that the team feeds off of it. Io said that the team feeds off of it. Like, I just, I find it easy to believe that that's true. 
Um, so don't underrate that aspect of, uh, about it, especially at home. D- uh, Darnell Mayberry actually asked Io, I thought it was a good question, um, whether he enjoys doing this stuff at home or on the road more. And he said, I, I think he ultimately landed on home because of how packed the UC is and, and you know, being at home and everything. But he also said, and this is just so I like, he said in college he liked road games better than home games. Like that's when Billy Donovan talks about the guy's makeup and his fearlessness and just how he's the ultimate competitor. Like that's how you go from second round pick who many think is going to be outside the rotation to, you know, mm-hmm. being the eighth or ninth man. And like, like you said, winning games for this team, important games for this team early in the season. Um, that's how you go from that to that in such a short period of time. Um, it's a good problem to have, but it's made Billy's life tough, especially when Kobe gets back here. Um, I don't, I don't know what you do rotationally there. Um, but the more you watch, I would assume the more it's kind of clear that he has to have some kind of place, uh, on this team and in this rotation. Yeah. Um, clearly, clearly Rob has been podcasting for a while himself now, folks, because he just led me directly in to our last topic. But, you up. I mean, real quick, you know, I own the whole home road thing. I mean, Obviously, gets a lot of love at the UC, has been playing well there. But, I mean, made huge plays in their comeback against the Celtics in the Boston Garden. Exactly. Like, not many rookies are doing that. Like, that's crazy. Um, You mentioned Kobe. um, Cleared to practice. uh, Great news there. Looks like he is very much so on pace to return soon. But then, like you said, where, you know, where does that leave Io DeSumo in Billy's rotation? Because Kobe brings two things that this second unit theoretically desperately needs when you've looked at the numbers and you've looked at the results so far through 10 games, three point shooting and just flat out scoring in general for a second unit that has struggled to find points on many nights so far. Io, as you mentioned, not a, you know, sure-handed knockdown catch and shoot threat the way that Kobe white has proven to be through his first two NBA seasons, but maybe gives you a little bit more of that, that energy, that pop, and that defensive competence, despite being a rookie, because we all know what Kobe's flaws are on the defensive end. I mean, if, if you're Billy Donovan, what like what do you do? I think I take and and I I expect Billy will do something akin to this because he is he is cautious when guys come back from injury. He's he's very um, like kind of alert to the conditioning ramp up and kind of all the things like a guy's rhythm needs to come back over time. I think you could probably afford to whenever Kobe White is, you know, he, he's obviously back at practice. We'll see how much practice time he needs before he's cleared to to play and he actually returns. He could probably afford to ease him in a little bit, right? Like you don't need to drop him in and, you know, put 25 to 30 minutes a night on him immediately. Um, you can maybe uh, kind of platoon that spot. Um, it's also Billy's been rolling with a nine-man rotation. We know he's comfortable going to 10. So maybe there does end up being room for both of them. Then you're a little bit undersized because you're playing three kind of combo guards uh, in that second unit with, Caruso, Io, and Kobe. Um, Billy obviously is not afraid uh, of playing small. He it did it a lot in OKC. Uh, his affinity for three yard lineups when he was there is pretty well documented. And uh, you know he's starting six foot four Javante Green at power forward. You know a lot of that's uh, not by choice uh, necessarily, but um, you know he's comfortable playing small. So maybe there ends up being a little bit of room for both. Uh, I think Io does. You know he he's he's had this impact defensively. He's had this impact in transition. Um, we'll see what Kobe looks like, um, defensively. Uh, but he also is a guy that, you know, plays, uh, you know, plays fast. He could probably help this team with its desire to, uh, play at a little bit higher of a tempo. Um, and I just think, you know, even though the offense is top seven or eight in the league as of today, uh, even with all the kind of warts and lumps that have been on display early in the season for them to still be there is pretty remarkable. Uh, but one of the things that I've been keeping an eye on offensively is just 
the fact that they're taking so few threes, and especially the bench guys, there's just not a lot of shooting with that group. I do think that's a big enough problem that Kobe White has to come in and at least be playing 20 to 25 minutes a game, uh, if not more. And I, I have faith. We'll see how it bears out. But I have faith on paper that there's enough uh, between Caruso, between Derek Jones Jr., Tony Bradley, in the starting lineup, Javante and Lonzo. Like, I have faith that there's enough defensive infrastructure around him that it won't be as glaring as it was last year when he was starting. Um, and this team really struggled defensively, especially at the point of attack. They're just much better on the perimeter this year. Um, that's obvious. So I have faith that Kobe, with with an outsized bench role, um, can bring that spark and not be, you know, uh, you know, not kill the team defensively because of the infrastructure around them and not maybe not kill the team, do a little bit of playmaking, but not, you know, be overburdened that in that uh, respect either because of all the offensive firepower they have. Um, so if I was Billy, I'd probably ease him in. And then, man, I just really think you got to find minutes for both. Maybe it's just based mm-hmm. on performance and production. You know, once Kobe does right. get his feet under him, you can just make kind of a, a, a level-headed evaluation um, of things. Um, cause I owe as much as he has impacted some of these games, there have been the off nights too. Cause he is a rookie. Um, like he's ahead of schedule here, so it's not the worst thing in the world if you scale it back a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I think he ease them both in, see how they both look and then make the evaluation from there. I, I just anticipate that Kobe ends up with the bigger role moving forward because of how glaring the shooting stuff is. Uh, but you know, I've thought I would assume it was going to fall out of the rotation before and here we are. So got, got to stay open-minded to anything. Yeah, you got to be ready for anything. Uh, Rob, always a pleasure uh, chatting Bulls hoops with you, man. Appreciate you stopping by. If you if you out there want to hear more thoughts uh, from Rob on the Chicago Bulls, catch all of his great work for NBCSportsChicago.com. His observations column after every Bulls game is a must-read. And catch him as one of those regular panelists on the Bulls Talk podcast from NBC Sports Chicago with Tony Gill, Jason Goff, and the one and only KC Johnson. Uh, Rob, before I let you go, speaking of tone, um, miss him. Tell him I said hi. What's the, what's the worst basketball take that you've heard from Tony so far earlier early on this season? Because he's oh, he's got some he's got some doozies in his in, well, his, er, in his back pocket. Man, what? Uh, oof, this was off camera, but maybe it's not a bad take. I love John Morant. In an off-record conversation, he he uh, he compared John Morant to 84-85 Michael Jordan, and I had to, you know, I had to wow. reel, reel it back. I had to reel it back in uh, a little bit. Now, granted, after six games or whatever it was when we had the conversation, the numbers looked pretty good. Uh, yeah. You know, things tend to level out from there. Um, so maybe that. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Tony. <laughs> I don't know if you <laughs> wanted that out there. Maybe we did talk about it on, on record. Oh, I have I never known Tony to be ashamed of any of his takes, regardless of how ridiculous they are. I And I think an objective observer, here's another one. Early in the season, uh, he was really, really, really high on the Cavaliers, which has turned into a pretty good take. They, they look pretty good so far. Um, but I would never, I wouldn't have even called that a bad take in the moment because I was all in with him. Uh, Evan Mobley. God, that guy's just outstanding. He's good. Um, you so, did not anticipate, you know, near 40-point burgers from Ricky Rubio, who is like, you know, going eight of nine from downtown and that kind of stuff. No, but we'll take but 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 they'll they'll take it. They'll take it at MSG too. Uh, that that was pretty amazing. So uh, you know, the Cavaliers started last season hot too. Let's see, let's see how it unfolds. But they did not, I mean, I just can't say enough about Mobley. They they did not have a guy like him. Um Last season, and uh, you know, good for Larry Markin. And I, I know he's in COVID protocol right now. I think mm-hmm. still, yeah. I um, so. But uh, you know, good for good for him that that situation, which I had a lot of questions about with him going into that, how that was all going to fit. Um, mm-hmm. At least to this point, they're 
they're they're making a little bit of noise. Um, Bulls, the Bulls and Bulls fans hope uh, not not too much more. Um, and uh, whenever they see them next, uh, they'll try to be sure of that. But they they look like a completely different team than they were in the preseason. So, um, yeah, the, those two stand out to me. But the jaw the jaw one more so for our guy Tony. Right on, uh, Rob. Keep up the great work, man. Follow Rob on Twitter at Rob underscore Shave to get all of his great Bulls and NBA coverage. Uh, we got uh, the seven and three Mavs coming to town Wednesday night, right? Yep, that's the next all one. Right. And then that, and then West, and then the West Coast trip, man. And then it, the West it, Coast trip it doesn't get easier. Well, get easier. Uh, if if you happen to cross paths with Luca tomorrow, tell him that Sabine says hi. <laughs> he still he still have that sign. <laughs> I'm sure that John has it buried in the closet somewhere. Yeah. He's got it. He's got it. That's Rob Schaefer, everybody. I'm Matt. Thanks for listening to the Locked Out Bulls podcast. Hit that like and subscribe button on YouTube if you aren't already. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Bulls underscore Peck. We're at Locked Out Bulls. And that text voicemail line is there too for you. 331 979 1369. Until tomorrow, see Red be good. Peace out.